for sure, whether we we're meeting or not, just uh, means I don't have information about you, uh, email or or you can join our Zion and Petroleum Valley Facebook page or so forth, because we do want to keep people informed if something does happen where we need to cancel due to weather or something. Uh, speaking of that, it, of informing, the, uh, most of you should have gotten a blue half sheet of paper, and we're just trying to update our records uh, for you know phone numbers change, addresses change. We're, we're missing kind of a lot of birthdays, especially for kids. And so if you wouldn't mind, uh, at some point today, fill that out, even though you may have already done that before. Uh, that way our, our, our um, executive helper, Missy, will kind of update everything. And uh, she's, she's ready, she's ready for your blue papers. Just put them in our blue, our, our blue. Put your blue papers in our brown offering box. Uh, and then we'll get them to her. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to sell your information, of course. So appreciate that. Hey, we're on a new series, new year, new month. We're talking about uh, some parables called Kingdom Stories, where Jesus is going to describe the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And it, 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 he's such a good storyteller. Teller. And I don't know if you've noticed the news this year, maybe, maybe you haven't, maybe you don't care, but movies have been dying. I mean, they've just been colossal bombs in the box office. And a lot of people say, well, why is that? Are we, are we tired of superhero movies? Or, or maybe there's a political agenda that, that a lot of people don't like. What is going on that movies are dying? And there's something, though, that every movie and actually every book, every story needs. There's three elements. You didn't know this would be English Lit class today, did you? But there's three elements that you need in every good story. You need a plot. You need something that is interesting, some kind of conflict, some tension where you're not sure how it's going to work out. And you need uh, great CGI effects. No, I'm kidding. You need, the second thing you need is good characters. Uh, there should be some characters that are what we call three-dimensional. They're, they're, they're interesting, whether they're jerks or nice or whatever, but they're, they're, just, they're a multifaceted person. Uh, and then, of course, you have two-dimensional ones that kind of fill in as well. But you need plot, you need characters, and you also need setting. You need you know, a time period, you need, uh, is it in the woods, is it in a city, is it, is it uh, in space, whatever it is. And those three elements, if you have those three elements, you're going to have a, a, a good story. Uh, and in, in terms of a movie and a book, if those aren't there, people are just gonna like it. They're not, it's gonna be boring, for, or it'll have a weak plot, or the characters are just kinda eh. And so those are the things, I don't know, if Hollywood ever calls me, I'll tell them what they should do. But Jesus was a master at telling stories. And he did so in something that we call parables. And it, it, these are actually, again, a little more English lit here. These are called similes. And, you know, there's metaphors and then there's simile. A simile is a comparison that uses like or as. So a parable, Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells a story. So they are similes. They're going to give us everyday examples to describe what the kingdom of God is like. We're going to look at these for, for two months. There's actually several of these parables. All of them, I believe, are going to be in Matthew. Now, a couple things just about parables. They, 
they don't contain actual people. And, and I don't want to be 100% on that because, for example, there may have been a man who had two sons and one who took his inheritance and spent it all and so forth. There may have been a man like that and sons like that. But generally, parables are fictional. Now, I, don't misunderstand me. Don't freak out. Jesus told them. He told these stories for real. That really happened. But he's using these stories to give an example of what, in our case, what the kingdom of God is like. So they may indeed be fictional. Proper names are never used in a parable. But if you, if you look at parables, you'll, you'll see, oh, there's, there's not a person's name listed there. It's always some man, some woman, uh, and so forth. Uh, but they, while they may be fictional, they explain a spiritual reality. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's just trying to get us to understand something that might not be kind of in our context. The, the morality also of a parable character may not be the issue. There are some people in the parables that do awful things, but that's not the issue. It may not be the truth that's going to explain it. We'll actually see that a little bit today. Some of Jesus' parables were not meant even to be understood. And he told us in Matthew 13, he goes, I'm telling them these things, but they're just not ready for that truth to come into their, into their, into their lives and their hearts. Uh, but uh, we have to then be very careful because some of the parables Jesus defines for us, he'll tell us more, he'll tell the disciples what they mean. And those are the, the definitions and interpretations we need to hold to. But some of them he doesn't. And so we have to be humble and say, okay, this is what we think he means, what we think he's talking about. So kingdom stories, that's the title of our series. What is it? What is the kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of God. It's, it's another state of reality or being. Uh, I like C.S. Lewis has this to say about it. It's more real than real. It's more real than reality. Uh, and since it's a kingdom, it has a king. And he is? That was lame. And he is? Jesus. Yeah, thank you. And so a kingdom has a king. And we, it's, it's so clear. It's, a, it's an easy assumption. And so when we think, okay, there's a kingdom of God, he's the king. He's the one who's in charge he has the authority, he reigns, he's sovereign, fill in the blanks. Now, just also so you're aware of the New Testament authors will use two terms, the kingdom of heaven, or they'll say the kingdom of God. And they use those terms in, you know, interchangeably. I probably will too. Just, I will. I know I will. They mean the same thing. One of the authors, I think it's uh, Matthew, tends to use the phrase kingdom of heaven. Luke tends to use this, the phrase kingdom of God. But they're talking about the same parables and so forth. Uh, the other thing to remember about the kingdom of God is that in terms of time, it's a now and not yet. There's a kingdom of God now, but there's also a more fully known one later. It's... It, sometimes scripture has concepts like that that are now and not yet. But what is it? Let me just give you a definition without similes or metaphors. It's where Jesus is ruling. Where Jesus is ruling, there is the kingdom of God. 
So if someone is following Jesus, they're experiencing the kingdom of God. If someone obeys him, when we obey him, we're experiencing the kingdom of God. When someone repents and turns their heart, they're, in, they're entering, they've entered into the kingdom of God. And just as a side note, kind of as a side application, one of the reasons why we're doing this is, and if you've watched the news, hey, guess what? It's an election year. And it seems every election year is getting nastier and nastier. And people's hearts and minds get caught up in all the drama of an election year. And I'm, I hope you vote. I hope you research who to vote for and you vote with a clear conscience and you're participating. But as believers and Christ's followers, we're not of this world. We're not of this kingdom. There's a, the kingdom of God is far greater, far more important, far more um, consequential than any kingdom here on, on earth. So uh, just let, let's, let's keep our focus and our burden and our time and our energies on the kingdom of God. That is going to be our first priority. So you ready to go in? You ready to look at a couple parables today? Both of these are kind of short. In fact, they're about one or two verses, but they're very similar to, uh, to one another. So the first one is a parable of the found treasure. I, I love finding things. I don't, I don't know if that sounds weird to you or not, but I do. I, you know, I was looking for something the other day. It was a missing Christmas present, and I found it. And I just, I don't know, I just like that feeling of finding things. I, I have a metal detector, because I'll go to Erie, the beaches in Erie, and look around, and I might just find a nickel. And I'm so excited to find that stupid nickel. Uh, it has yet to, my metal detector's yet to pay for itself. But I love finding stuff. I, I, I do. And so uh, I've been out in these fields. I'm still hoping one day, because you know we had a drive in here, I'm hoping one day to find one of those old uh, speakers from the drive in that we used to hang in our cars. I think that would be so cool to find one of those. But uh, I, I just like it. It's called me weird. So this is a story of finding things. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So while treasures can be found in fields, we don't really expect to find them. For example, uh, you, you might see something in the news where someone was plowing their field or they were, they were digging a hole for a tree or something and they found a cache of Roman coins. This would probably be in, like in Europe or maybe some, some Civil War artifacts or something like that in their, in their digging. They weren't planning on finding something. They were just turning the soil up for one reason or another. Uh, they weren't searching it. We, we generally don't find things in fields or we don't expect to. So it becomes national news when, hey, this guy was just doing something in his field, doing something on his property, and lo and behold, he found this thing. And it's a big news story. This man in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found. He wasn't actively looking for it. So what did he do? Well, he found the hidden treasure, and then he covered it up, and he sold everything he had. Now, why did he do that? 
Because everything he had wasn't worth as much as the treasure. If, if someone said, would you, would you trade a $20 bill for a $50 bill? As long as it was real. Yeah, of course we would. There's something greater than what we have. And th- this is one of those stories where you, you kind of question, well, was that right? Was that moral? Imagine you're, you're out hunting. You're out in the, in the game lands or, or uh, you're out in a neighbor's property who's giving you permission to hunt and you're out there and you discover a treasure. The moral thing, the right thing would be to tell the owner. Well, this is one of those circumstances where that's not the point here. We, could, we can question whether he was nice or he should have said something, uh, but he's really acting on his own self-interest. He wanted to get the treasure. The kingdom of God is like that. It's more valuable than anything we already have, and so we'll do what it takes to get it. How did he feel? He said, he, in his joy, he was joyful, literally out of sheer joy. He's so excited. So what is this teaching? Well, for this particular man, again, unnamed, the kingdom may not be readily seen, but it can be found. It's worth more than anything. The value of, king, of the kingdom is so great that when people understand it, they will logically give everything to obtain it. But then in contrast, how, how silly is it to give up, to, to hold on to a lesser thing when we could have a kingdom? The kingdom of God. Uh, the, one commentary said, the New International Commentary says, only those who make the kingdom of heaven, their top priority, will enjoy its blessings. Another one said, the point of the parable is that the kingdom of heaven in value outweighs all else. And that the man who understands this will with pleasure part with all. So couple, this isn't the only place we hear this. In Matthew 6.33, where Jesus is talking about stuff. In Matthew 6, he's talking about clothing, food, and he comes to this conclusion in 6.33 and says, but seek first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the stuff, will be added to you. This man's also in contrast to the rich young ruler, and we'll come back to him at a later message. But that's the story of Matthew 19 where the, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. I've done, I've done everything right, Jesus, and Jesus doesn't challenge him on that statement. It's one thing you need, go sell everything, then come follow me. This man was holding on to his riches. He wasn't willing, he didn't see that following Christ, the kingdom of heaven, was a greater treasure than all of his wealth. This parable divides out who will pay the cost and who would not. So let's look at the other one. Again, another short one, but you're going to see very clearly they're very similar. It's in the next verses. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. What, Jesus? What's it like? It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see the parallels? There's also some differences. This man is seeking actively for something of value. He's a pearl merchant. That's what he does. He's a professional pearl expert. The previous man, he found 
a treasure by accident. This man was actively looking. Now, he found one pearl. Like today, pearls communicate value. They're valuable. Uh, even in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul writes about women wearing fine pearls, adorning themselves with pearls. It's a sign of wealth as well. Revelation has actually three or four references to pearls. There'll be gates made of single pearls. That's a big stinking pearl, if it's a gate. All right, that will, that will open in the new Jerusalem and so forth. But they, they promote, it is great value, polydomos, if you were concerned with the word. It's precious, valuable, expensive. In other passages, we see that word of value, great value, like that ointment. Remember that story where that woman breaks open a, a, a vial of ointment and it's, it, it's like a year's wage and she anoints Jesus and they say, well, why this waste? Why all this waste? That's a precious ointment. Because once you break that vial, you can't reseal it. It's, once it's used, it's used. It was a precious ointment. Peter, 1 Peter 1.7 says, our faith is more precious than gold. I'm sorry, I, said, I think I said 1.6, I mean 1.7. Pearls also are not thrown to pigs. I don't know why I wouldn't do that anyway, but you just don't do that. Matthew 7, 6. As a, as a professional, this man searching for pearl understands the value. Now, I've, I've seen like television shows or, or movies where they're looking at diamonds, you know, and they pull out the little glass and they look at it. You know, if, if I, even if I had the little glass to look at, at a diamond, I can't tell the difference between a valuable diamond and a piece of, I just look at it, it's like, same to me. I don't have the eye for that. Maybe you do. Maybe you can tell the difference between real diamonds and fake diamonds. But to me, they look the same. Well, this guy had the eye. Boy, when he found that pearl, oh my, this is, this is the pearl I've been looking for my whole life. We're not told how big it was or how great, but a, a, an expensive pearl had to be large and well-shaped and pure. He sold all that he had. That's what the kingdom of God is like. You find it and everything else is second. You'll give everything else up for that. On one hand, he's like the man with the treasure, but on the other hand, he can live off the pearl. The man who found the treasure, he could still live off of the treasure. I mean, you could... If he'd sell everything, but then, you know, bills come up. He has to get food and shelter and clothing. He could have maybe used some of those coins. But this man, his commitment was a little bit greater because it's not like he could chip a little bit off that pearl and sell it. He gave everything that he had to live on and to, and to, and to, and to just have, pay his cost of living. Everything went into that pearl. And he couldn't liquidate it and hold on to it. He made himself poor in order that he might have the pearl. So what are these parables teaching? Well, similar. The kingdom of heaven, folks, is worth more than anything else. So it just makes sense, doesn't it? That we, that we would give all away that we might have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is worth 
everything. Both finders found blessing immediately and in the future. I think there's some application here for us. First of all, just as a, as a general statement, some people find the kingdom of heaven accidentally. That's my story. I wasn't looking for it, and I, and I found it. Others are searching. There's a lot of people out there searching and looking, still maybe confused about a lot of stuff, but they're searching. They're like the second one. A few other verses, I'm just going to read them for you that are similar to the idea of this treasure. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If, if our heart, if we're valuing the kingdom of heaven more than anything else, that's where our heart's going to be. Philippians 3, 8, indeed, Paul writes, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, literally a pile of dung. Everything, not just his, what he owned, but his reputation, his learning, everything that he might gain Christ. It's just a bunch of garbage compared to this. He's illustrating the point of these two parables. Give up everything that you might have him. And this is not just a New Testament thing. Psalm 119, verse 127. Probably the longest address I'll ever give you. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. So do we regularly assess the true value of what we have? Am I willing to give them up for something better? Or at least consider them not as worth, had to have such a high worth. What would you and I give up for the kingdom of God? What's of more value? Some people hold on to stuff more than that. Are they, or they try to hold on to, you know, I'll give God a lot of stuff, but boy, there's this one little section, that's mine. You know what you're saying? That little thing that's yours, that you're, you're holding on to, you're saying that, that thing is worth more than the kingdom of God. That's what you're saying. These things can also be called idols. And folks, even good things, even precious things in this world can be called idols. Can I give you a true story? It just happened to me last week. If you were here, my daughter Allie, her husband Brooks, and my little buddy Kate, we're here. And then they went back to York, four hours away. I was moping for days and just feeling loss, feeling grief. We're blessed with one of our daughters close by. Jess is about an hour, 20 minutes. Allie's four hours. Mike is eight hours. Now, a lot of other families have it worse. You ever, by the way, do you ever think of some of these parents who put their kids and their grandkids on a ship early in the 1800s to go to China or something and maybe never see them again? I don't have that. We, we FaceTime every week. So, 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 we, so I see them, but it's not the same. You know what I started thinking? I started thinking... I hate 
being away from my kids and my grandkids. I just hate it. Whenever we've gone there and traveled, and I thought, what would it take to move out to York? Or at least closer. What would it take? What about Jess? Jess? Jess is in Baltimore once a month. I would still see her. And then I started working through this message. Is my little grand, my little buddy Cade precious? Yeah. And, and God says, but Joe, I've called you to Carn City. That's where I want you to serve me in my kingdom. And that's what I want for Cade. I want Cade to sell everything. And, and, and so I was, pray, I was praying for him today that as he grows and his little brain develops and he's understanding things, that he would give everything up for the kingdom of God. And, and then I thought, well, have I given him up? Not really. It's not like he's dead. <laughs> he's, he's, he's there. Is he, is he more valuable than the kingdom of heaven? No, not according to these parables. Do I miss him? Yes. Do I love him and Allie and Mike and Grace and Brooks? And, and, and now I got another grandkid coming. And it's like, how am I going to deal with missing that little boy or girl too? How do you get this? But the, none of them are going to save my soul. Do I miss him? Yes. I didn't really sacrifice anything. But the kingdom of heaven is worth more than even the precious people in our lives. I know we talk about, you know, making your priorities. You have God first, and then the family, and then the church. Well, by church, I think we mean church activities, but God really has to be first. And so, and so with joy, I could say, God, I want to do your will. I want to be involved with your kingdom here in Carn City because it's what you called me to do, even though I miss my kids and my grandkids, even though that's a loss. And again, really, I didn't sacrifice anything. Remember, it's a deal. Would you take a 50 for in place of a 20? Yeah. I'm getting something of far better value than even my little cave. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. It's absolutely true. So the, the worst things, that's a great example. And, and again, so don't, don't think, oh, he made the sacrifice. I didn't. I didn't sacrifice anything. It's a great deal. I made a great deal. So I didn't sacrifice or give anything up. Our possessions, our wealth, our status, jobs, our standing, those are even, those are far lower. But yet people hold on to them. And so my, my, my challenge for you and for myself is this week, ask yourself, am I holding on to another treasure? Is there something that I wouldn't sell to get the kingdom of God? Is there? Pray that. That's going to be dangerous. We're going to sing a song after we're done with our pause and prayer time called I Surrender. Mean it. I surrender all. Really? 
at least make it a prayer. With our pause and pray, I just want to say, hey, thank you, Lord. Thank him that his kingdom is worth far than anything. Anything here on earth doesn't last. It's all going to burn. It's all going to go away. But his kingdom is worth more than anything. And it's available to anyone. It's available to us all. And maybe you're thinking, boy, there's something in my head now, and I publicly declare that, fill in the blank, is not nearly as valuable, Lord, as your kingdom. You just want to make a public statement about that. Will you join me? If you'd like to pray out loud, go ahead and do that, and then we will um, uh, finish our worship time together. Lord God, I thank you that your kingdom is worth more than anything else. God, as I think on these parables a bit further, it's a matter of belief. Do I believe that the kingdom of God is worth more than all? All that I have. The men in this parable did. It was clear to them. It was a no-brainer. And so, Lord, with, um, with gladness, with great joy, as, as both of these men felt, I will, I will, I will gladly sell all. 
And Lord, it doesn't, doesn't mean they're necessarily out of my life. But oh, there is nothing else worth. No, nothing else, no one else can save my soul but you, Lord Jesus. You as my king of this kingdom of God. And so, um, Lord, search our hearts this week and see if there's anything we're holding on to. Yeah, there's going to be things that are going to be maybe stingy or ouchy. But nothing more worth it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, I hope uh, if you were able, uh, we would like to de-Christmas and put things away and store them back up in the attic. If you're able to join us, um, usually that that does go pretty quickly. Get this big tree down, that's the big part, uh, and get things stored back up. There are some things downstairs as well, trees and so forth that are um, up there. Yeah, worship team, please come back up. Um, And so we'd appreciate that. Uh, And also a reminder, I mentioned this last week, we are going to start our corporate, our family prayer time uh, after our church gathering at noon. And so we will, that'll be our first one that we've been doing. That's our prayer meeting, we want to call it that. Um, Also for uh, parents and students who will be in grades 6 through 12 next year, uh, if you can give me three or four minutes uh, right in front here when we're done, uh, that would be appreciated. I have some exciting uh, news uh, for you uh, regarding Word of Life Camp. And so, again, if you have a student who is in grades 6 to 12, come join me up here, uh, and I'll, I'll fill you in on that. Uh, also, last week I mentioned we have a, a, a 21-day prayer challenge for, uh, for church leaders, that would be me and Tom's our elder, the other elders and pastors. Uh, there is a guide back there for 21 days for praying for us. There are some great, I was reading that, boy. Yep, I need that. Yep, 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 yep. Boy, I need to pray for these for myself. Yes, uh, the book is free. All we're asking is just saying, yeah, I will do this. I will pray for our church leaders for a 21-day period. Uh, if, even if you want to wait till February, that way, like day one is February 1st, that's okay. Uh, but they're back there and available. And so uh, uh, you are welcome to take those. Let's surrender all, right? Did you see what I did there? <laughs>